Hey, what's going on there, Warrior? Jeff here from WarriorLife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 471. So they were the best of the best. These were men specially selected to train for a call to arms at any moment to defend the colonies from invaders and enemies, both foreign and domestic, ready to grab their rifles and pack and beat feet out the door to fulfill their patriotic commitment to the safety of themselves, their families, and the greater good and freedom of the local settlers. Now to them, the threats that we prepare for today, like surviving a grid down blackout or defending our homes, families, and lifestyle, home medicine and first aid care, these were all just daily living to them. Now I'm talking about the Minutemen of the late 1700s and actually there's a lot that we can learn from this special breed of protector and provider. And this week I have a special guest who's just released a book that brings the skills and the mindset of these early warriors to modern times and helps us all tap into our own inner patriot to think and prepare like a modern day Minuteman. Now it's all coming right up, but first don't forget to check out this week's handy one page cheat sheet covering all the main points from this week's show. You can grab this along with all of our other episode cheat sheets and some of our training manuals and audio programs and more, all absolutely free. It's all waiting for you right now in a special section of our website that we call the Loot Locker. And all you have to do is go to warriorlife.com loot and grab it all. And now let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat, Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. All right, now I want you to picture these living conditions for yourself and your family. Your your smartphone is useless to you. There is no Netflix on television. There is no food resupply. There's no water coming out of your indoor faucet. There's no 911 to call when trouble comes knocking at your door, which is frankly worthless anyway because police protection is non-existent. You are surrounded by miles of rugged wilderness where animal and even human predators can attack you at any moment. Now, I know that this sounds like any single season of The Walking Dead, but this is actually what daily life was like for our colonial forefathers. And in the late 1700s, survival depended on people's ability to provide for themselves and protect their communities. And of these early settlers, there was a small group of men, hand-selected, who were the embodiment of readiness, a force that could spring into action at a moment's notice. These were the Minutemen, and they weren't your typical militia of the day. They were selected differently. They trained differently. They even thought differently than other groups. And even though we've swapped muskets for AR-15s and wilderness threats for cyber attacks, the core principles of the Minutemen are as vital today as they were back in 1775. So how do we reclaim this rugged self-reliance and vigilance of our patriot forefathers? Well, that's where we're here to find out. Hey there, Warrior. Jeff Anderson here, founder of Warrior Life. And my guest this week is the author of a new book that draws a solid comparison with our past to give you a handbook for thinking and preparing like a 21st century Minuteman. Please welcome back to the show, Sal DeGennaro. Sal, welcome back, man. Jeff, thanks for having me back. It's good to be back on. It's been a while. Yeah, we were, yeah it's been a while. We were talking about how really life hasn't changed in the last several years since no, we were last five on the or show. And- five or six years maybe, and we were talking about civil unrest and all that kind of stuff back then. And what do you know? Here we are again. Yeah, Similar we still don't have the puppy kind of dogs things. and rainbows and no, unicorns. No, and the yeah, utopia really has not shown up yet. <laughs> Damn it. 
Well, I'm looking forward to, to uh, uh, getting getting our conversation going back again here, man. Uh, listen, everybody, uh, if you haven't checked out uh, Sal's work before or, or seen any of his stuff on our website, Sal is a firearms instructor, a competitive shooter, and a devout practitioner of preparedness and personal protection. As a perpetual student of the craft, he is trained with some of the foremost exper- uh, experts out there in the field to expand his skill set and serve as a conduit of reliable information out to the masses of new protectors that are out there seeking to live a life that's more prepared and more self-reliant, more self-protected. Having an academic background in history, Sal believes in basing these decisions for the future on our understanding of the past, which is a great lead into the book today. But he is a contributing author also. You've probably seen some of his stuff in uh, publications like USA Carry, Concealed Nation, Ammo Land, Truth About Guns and his own blog, Reflex Handgun. Now, Sal is also an active defender of the Second Amendment, and his political writings have been published in The National Interest, The Western Journal, American Thinker, The Bull Elephant, and other media outlets out there. Now, you can check out more about Sal and his work at his website, www.reflexhandgun.com. All right, Sal, so so the book, 21st Century Minuteman. Uh when I got a copy of this, like, I got to tell you, like from the title, it's that's a big elephant to take a bite out of. And I know that there are a lot of authors, website owners, instructors. There's a lot of people out there that love to to call upon our forefathers for inspiration and, and their own branding to be able to really kind of tap into those old mindsets and everything. But I really want to get your take on it here as well. And I'm on, I'm in the same boat, right? Like warrior life, like mm-hmm. how many different definitions do people have out there about warriors, right? So so let me let me ask you kind of to set a stage for your book and and your your thought process for it. For you, what is what is that significance of that concept of the 21st century Minuteman that you think people should really know about? Like, why did you make that the focus of this book? Sure. So uh, the Minuteman, uh, as you alluded to, um, a lot of groups reference the Minuteman. Uh, in fact. This book was actually in the process of being written over the course of quite a few years. It was just kind of a pet project that I worked on a little bit here or there while I did other writing things. And a long time ago, when I actually checked out that specific title, there was nothing else out there referencing 21st Century Minuteman. Now there are some other things. I believe there's a training outfit. I'm not affiliated with any of that. I just stuck with the title that I initially had. But I think the reason that it's a popular reference with any kind of, whether it be martial training or just preparedness in general, is because, getting back to what you were talking about in the introduction, the the Minuteman in American history really embodies a preparedness and a mindset that is is universal. So our times and our technology, uh, some of our issues are very different than what they dealt, dealt with back then, but it, it's the... It's the resiliency and preparation that makes the American Minuteman in particular stand out. So most people realize that that was basically a citizen militia member who the reason they were given that um, uh, title Minuteman is they could literally be out the door on their horse with everything they needed to go fight in literally a minute. So you have an individual who encompasses what we admire today as far as preparation. We, we talk so much about bug-out plans. Well, 
that guy had the ultimate bug out plan. I mean, literally in a minute could be out the door with everything he needed to fight and sustain for an indefinite amount of time. But also, if you look at his lifestyle, he was living in, again, you said it so well, he was living in the the frontier that was pushing further and further into the West, as far away from any kind of civilization that we could even comprehend by our modern standards. This was a person who did not rely on the state or government for anything, right? He was completely independent. He could sustain himself and his family and his small community on his homestead. And he was also ready in uh, literally a minute's notice to arm up, gear up, and be out the door to go fight for whatever that, that fight may be. So it's the mindset and the lifestyle that we can really pull from from the colonial minute man and that's why not only myself but obviously many many out there kind of reference back to that historical figure yeah and you know the it's interesting as i look over my own evolution just from the military on forward and some of the things that I took for granted before, like I, I didn't come out of the military a prepper or anything like that. And really, it was events that happened in my life that had caused me to get into different areas that I didn't even really realize they were prepping at the time. But even now, as I consider myself like p- part of my identity is, is as a soldier, but now I've started to really come back more toward our forefathers past really, because now we have like a homesteading project that we're working on now. And I know a lot of other guys out there in our space are also. And it's, it's interesting. I think that that mindset changes over time. Now, back then it was based upon need because, you know, they didn't, they didn't have anything to compare it to in the future here, but I've really started to look at this also. So it's interesting Like I never thought of homesteading. Like I thought, well, that's a different type of survival. Like that's a whole other, you know, they're all working, wearing Birkenstocks and, and smell like patchouli. And like, those are all homesteaders. Those are a different level. But as I've really started getting into more self-reliance, it's, it's taken more of that role of these clone thing. And then there's that, there's that militia aspect of it, or there's that self-protection aspect of it that I love. And, and in your book, you do a really great job of, of bringing all of that stuff forward and to the 21st century and making it not just palatable for anybody out there, whether they consider themselves more of like on the gardening slash homestead or, you know, self-reliance end of it or on more of the self-protection side of it. And I mean, it's a great handbook for all of this stuff. One of the, one of the sections that you have in there is really what I want to focus in on today, which is the mindset. Now, again, there was a lot of need back then, right? So there was a lot of, um, it was, we say that now, I say, we say that in a lot of our training now, which is that your needs really drive your mission. It's not the cool, sexy stuff that you want to do. It's more of like, you have to really assess what, like what you need, but it all starts with mind for all of our, you know, our entire warrior life uh, foundation. It starts with uh, brain, body, and backbone. But the first part of that is brain. So in your book, you go over like five qualities in relation to developing a Minuteman mindset. So I, I really want to dig into these a lot more. The first quality that you talk about is in relation to risk acceptance and violence. Uh, you know, to, it's it's modern day, so it's a lot different than maybe it was then. But what should people understand about these factors in order to be better prepared as a protector from from this this mindset that you're talking about? 
Yeah. So getting back just for a minute, the, the historical perspective, um, when it comes to mindset, it, all throughout history, anything that undergirds the warrior is, is, is the mindset, right? Anywhere in history. One of the problems we have in modern society is things are now so safe. And I know it doesn't seem that way because we have social media and the internet and we watch every day, all the horrors that still transpire around the world. I don't think people realize though, how much safer, at least in Western societies, life is currently than it was a hundred years ago, even 50 years ago, you know, even at the later point of the, the, the 20th century. So even though people still, you know, doom scroll on their phone and read all this horrible stuff, uh, people realize that we, we are just generally much safer than ever before. One of the downsides to that is it has made us soft, as a society, right? So if we talk about the Minuteman, the things he dealt with on a daily basis, he had a full acceptance that bad things could happen to him and his own at any given minute, right? And that's something that's now foreign to, to modern people. So with with my five pillars of mindset, and let me say that, you know, I, I have not invented or contributed any ideas to what we talk about mindset. You know, the, the real founder of being able to teach this stuff would be Colonel Jeff Cooper, right? Who, who modernized the, the, the use of the pistol in the sixties and seventies, you know, and, and he was really the first to write a lot and talk a lot about mindset and what this thing is. One thing I did in the book though, is I broke it down into five categories that are sort of sequential just because it makes it easier to teach. And what you referenced, the first pillar of that being acceptance is literally just accepting that bad things, and, and typically we talk about violence, but it's not necessarily just violence, right? Uh, when it comes to preparedness, disasters, you know, bad things can happen to you personally. It doesn't just happen to people on the news. It doesn't just happen to people in other countries or other states, right? It, it can happen to you individually, whether that be crime, you know, an armed, armed robbery in the Walmart parking lot or a home invasion of your own home, or, you know, you get caught in a natural disaster or man-made disaster that leaves you now totally uh, reliant on only yourself and, and your preparation. So, that acceptance is really what fosters everything else because truthfully, the majority of individuals never come to that acceptance that this can happen to me personally. I'll just share you an anecdote. Uh, and I think actually it's in that chapter in the book about acceptance. Um, I was only about 12 or 13 years old when the Kylene, Texas, Luby's Cafeteria massacre happened. I was just a teenager reading the newspaper. That's, you know, people read newspapers back then. You must remember, Jeff, you know, so many of our, uh, of your <laughs> listeners probably don't even know what those are anymore. Why? Right? Do I look uh, that yeah, old, yeah. Sally? Is that uh, what you're saying? I, no, I said, it, huh? I, you, you and I both remember that well, right? <laughs> that was a thing. So, um, you know, the, the newspaper uh, in the few days following that, I remember as a kid reading an account of a victim who was there who described how he laid on the ground under a table for 10 minutes while this guy literally walked around executing people. And he just kept thinking the same thing over and over again. I can't believe this is happening. 
right? And that was really my first uh, insight into that scenario that we see so often. And probably all of your listeners can think of exactly this. How many times have you read the headlines where witnesses or victims who are on the scene are interviewed and what do they always say? I can't believe it happened. I can't believe it would happen here, etc. So if you never get past the mental block of this won't happen to me, you'll never proceed to embrace any sort of mindset or further preparation to deal with violence or just disaster in general. You have to accept that can happen to you personally, and it can happen anywhere and at any time. It doesn't mean you live your life paranoid about it, right, and crawl under a hole and live in a cave, but you you accept it so that you can prepare for it. Yeah, that really does form the foundation, doesn't it? I mean, and, and I think, and I don't remember if it was in your book or whether, I mean, we've, we've used this reference before as well, but I mean, people have, they have fire alarms in their house and well, we have to, right, in order to have insurance on your house, but uh, also having fire extinguishers. Like, why have a fire extinguisher? Because you know there can be a fire. I've never had a house fire myself. I've been um, in-house fires, but I've never, like, my home's never caught on fire, so... But people just even take that for granted. I think it's, you know, it really it comes down to a lot of the taking for granted that we live in a safe thing because nothing's happened before. So it probably won't happen again until it does. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. you know, the Another quality that you talk about is the use of deadly force. And this is an area that we, you know, I know, I know you and I live in a lot. But I think this is a concept that most people understand in theory, especially the ones that are listening to this and that, that understand danger is out there, but uh, they understand that you may have to use deadly force to stay safe. But what do you think people don't understand about their use of deadly force? And, and what do you think are maybe the most critical realities that they need to pay attention to in this area when it comes to their beliefs, their philosophies, and what's, what's guiding them to train? Mm -hmm. The first thing I would say about that whole conversation is Currently, while we live in a generally functional society, we are governed by law within the continental United States, right? That's, that's very different than what governs um, our military personnel in foreign combat or anything like that. So before even wading into um, use of force, I encourage people, really educate yourself on what the law code is. A lot of times it is just common sense, but there's a lot of nuance and a lot of detail, even state-specific things, right? There's, there's general federal um, law that covers most things, but there's even state-specific laws for the, the legal use of force when we talk about self-defense. But beyond that discussion... One of the interesting phenomena that I've always seen with, um, again, I, I, I remind your listeners that I am primarily from the firearms concealed carry side of things. Uh, for me, the, the overall prepping thing happened over years just because I saw the obvious overlap and the obvious need to be prepared for a wide range of things. But coming from specifically concealed carry, when we have just masses and masses of millions of Americans now with carry permits, <laughs> over half the states don't even require a carry permit anymore, right? There's, there's millions of people carrying guns. And the reason they're carrying those handguns is to be able to protect themselves. And if the handgun has to be used, it is what is considered, obviously, deadly force, right? 
So before you even go out and get your carry permit and that whole process, you really need to have a conversation first and foremost with yourself about what is entailed. If you have to use the firearm, we don't do that because we want to kill somebody. We would use it because we have to stop somebody, right? We use force to stop deadly threats. Uh, but what is the potential outcome of that force obviously can be death. Now, the reason we would use that force is to prevent death being inflicted on um, on good people, on innocent people, right? But the reality is you may have to inflict death or devastating bodily harm on a bad individual who is a violent criminal actor. And you really need to come to terms with that. I think there are a lot of people who walk around carrying a gun who actually have it in the back of their mind that if they need to, they'll pull it out and use it as a magic talisman and brandish it and hope that that's all that's required. Now, ironically, about 90% of the time when a gun does come out, criminals get late for a different appointment. <laughs> and the majority of defensive gun uses actually end in just display. But if you are specifically walking around with the mindset that I won't use it, you know, I'm just going to have it as a magical talisman. You are better off not caring. You have to have that conversation to say, if I need to go to deadly force, am I willing to do that? And the best example of, of this kind of irony I can think of is this is something that all firearms instructors have heard many times, uh, particularly with women. They, they usually more often, I think, express this hang up. Maybe men also have it, but they just, you know, it's like a macho thing not to admit that. But women will say, you know, I could never kill someone, um, even if they're hurting me, and then ask that lady, well, what if they were harming your child? You know, what if what if they were in the process of killing your child? And all of a sudden, every woman I've ever asked that question to says, oh, then certainly I could. Right. So there, there's a psychological component there that most good people don't want to have to hurt another human being. But sometimes you have to dig down past that. And I would encourage people to really analyze that psychological aspect of what self-defense is and realize that you would be using force to save life, not to take life. Taking a life might be involved, but why are you ultimately... Uh, resorting to the force that's there, but it's a conversation people have to have and take seriously. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Well, the uh, another another quality that you talk about in your book has to do with the determination to prevail when faced with a threat or crisis. So we're, we're kind of getting out of that. I think it's all. I mean, to me, it all goes together because being self reliant and self protected, it's all it's all in the same boat. Like you're going to have to deal with various threats when it comes to something that's more wide scale than just like your local town got flooded or anything like that. But it's that willingness. It's that being able to prevail no matter what, no matter what's going on there. And this is always a tricky area because everyone has their own idea of what it means to have that kind of inner strength, you know, that intestinal fortitude there to just push through hardship. But for you, What's most important about really knowing whether you've got this down or not, like in order to overcome? Because, again, I think it's one of those things where people check the box and they just kind of go on with their lives thinking that they're they can do this. But um, I, I think you you always have to test yourself. I always find like you challenge yourself. Is that true? How do you know? How do you know you're ready? So I want to hear from you. Like what 
what do you think is most important about about people really knowing that they've got this down? What can people, I guess, do to develop that kind of resilience, tapping into the, the things that you cover in your book? Yeah. So in, in the book, I, I have some specific examples about um, actual fights that have happened. Like, for example, a, a particular uh, female police officer who was shot through the chest with a three fifty seven Magnum. It actually nicked her heart, etc. She finished the fight and killed the guy who shot her and she made a full recovery. Right. And that you could take an example like that and contrast it with there are literally events in the past with police officers where they have been wounded with literally what's only a flesh wound to an extremity, you know, not not a major bleed like a flesh wound to an arm and they die. Uh, so, again, there's a big psychological component there. So what's the difference there? It's it's this matter of determination and, and we can we can apply that determination to things beyond just fighting, right? Other things that may be faced in hardship. If we are in for a real grid-down scenario for a prolonged period, the likes of which we've seen in other countries around the world, where you are really on your own with limited resources for a long time, it's going to take a determination that's going to allow you to prevail over very challenging things, be it hunger, you know, sickness, and, and, and the like. And much of that can be built through good training on a number of levels. So not only the, the, the mental training of just understanding certain things. I'll give you an example. Um, today, as compared to years ago, you see many, many more people fight through getting shot even many times than we did in the past. Um, if, if you look historically, it's it's almost interesting by our standards today of how, you know, old West gunfights or whatever, like a guy gets shot once and he just drops dead on in, in the middle of the floor, right? And then, and then you have uh, more modern uh, examples of, you know, something that comes to mind is uh, an officer, a police officer named uh, Peter Solis in Jacksonville, Florida in the 90s. He ran into a guy that he got into a shootout with during a traffic stop, um, and the guy took 22 rounds of 40 Smith & Wesson through the torso before he finally gave up the ghost. And actually, he only gave up the ghost, I think, when he took three or four through the back of his head. So, again, even with bad guys, you can see the drastic difference in, in this uh, determination that's there within them now for bad in in these examples but you can see what a human body is actually capable of understanding that especially handgun bullets are not a magic death ray is actually part of being able to to consciously make the decision hey if i got ambushed if i was dealing with violence if i get robbed in the parking lot and the life of my family is on the line and i recognize if you even recognize that you take a hit if you're still ambulatory and thinking, then you can fight, you know, so just understanding those concepts goes a long way. And then beyond that, certainly training, train um, in not only the, the fighting skills, but the medical skills, uh, keep your physical fitness high. You know, any kind of situation that you're in, the more fit you are, the, the better chance you have of, of not only surviving, but prevailing, you know, um, get used to and you know i i shouldn't i shouldn't say the talk about this kind of stuff because i i don't practice what i preach but get used to going long periods without food 
You know, have you ever tried to go a day without eating? Uh, you know, realize what that's like. M most Americans have never gone even uh, a full morning without eating. You know, go a day or two without eating. It's, it's, it's no joke. And doing those kind of things really will build just your, your overall preparedness and, and fortitude. Yeah, you know, you know, you said something in there that I, I had never really thought about before, and I've never used this in a course that we've given or, or anything, but it, it was because you, you're right about, I mean, there's so much to unpack there, but the handgun really is not a, you know, it's not a John Wick one shot man stopper of a, of a weapon. It really is not a very powerful weapon. And I could go down all sorts of roads with, with this conversation with it, but I have come across people who are hesitant to pull the trigger. And I don't want to like say that women, like it's not just women, it's, it's men also. And I, and I, I've said this before where I've seen, I've seen soldiers in combat that couldn't pull a trigger. So there really is a mental block that I think people might even have there that they don't even realize is there. They, they think it isn't there, but then you go to pull the trigger. And I've talked in the past about, Cam, you know, body cam footage from police officers who are a, a bad guy is trying to take the gun out of their hand. They keep warning them, don't I'll stop or I'll shoot, stop or I'll shoot. Well, no, he's trying to take your gun away. You would normally shoot, but it's really, it's much harder to do that for a lot of people than it is for others. And I know people are saying, well, that would uh, not me. Yeah, you, it could possibly be you and you don't really know until you're tested. But, but here's where, here's what I just, I heard you saying that I just got really got me thinking is, that for the people that do find it hard to shoot, or even if you just look at your engagement this way, even if you think you wouldn't have a problem, where the handgun is not a one-shot man-stopper. And with the way that medicine is these days, the chances of somebody living, very high. Very high. Especially if you have any sort of first aid skills or anything like that. So I think, I think just understanding that does a couple of things. One where somebody thinks that if I pull this trigger, I'm going to kill this person. One, you should understand that the finality of that from a legal standpoint, from a human standpoint, from, you know, just from your, from your own defensive standpoint, but then also understanding that it's most likely not going to kill them, but you're not trying to kill them. You're just trying to stop them. I think that that can help with overcoming an initial block that somebody might have mentally in, in being able to use, if, you know, we call it deadly force, but if we, you know, if they just look at it as stopping force, well, that's okay. I like, I want the person to stop raping me. I want the person to stop attacking me. I want the person to stop, you know, whatever that whatever's going to call, call you to the, to action right there. But one, it, I think it might help get over that mental block, but two, understanding that Stopping them is the main thing that you need to do and that the handgun is not a powerful weapon to do that. I mean, it's better than a pencil, unless you're John Wick, but it's it's not that powerful. So it's probably going to take you multiple rounds in order to stop that person from doing what they're doing. I've, I've never used that in a class before, but um, usually people just when you try and get over it, for me, they just like, okay, well, they're there at the class. Of course, they realize that this thing can can do deadly force and they can just get past it, right? Like they're there for the training, but when it comes down to street level, who knows, right? But I'm always curious how people are able to overcome that obstacle. I don't know if you've ever done anything in your classes that 
you've talked with people about how they can overcome maybe any sort of hesitation that pops up, whether they think it's going to be there or whether it's not to get them to overcome that, that hurdle and pull the trigger for their, for their own life. Yeah. Um, usually the conversation and, and you know, what I teach is having a very thorough understanding of self-defense law. So, you know, first of all, framing it legally, right? Because there's a whole other aspect of, of force and that's less lethal force, you know, where, where to deal with, with threatening behavior, but that behavior that is not deadly in nature or deemed not deadly, right? There's no, no clear cut lines with these kind of things, right? Because generally people who get into fistfights don't end up dying. Occasionally it happens, right? So there's a lot of overlap, but when it comes to weaponry, okay, the handgun or a blade, blunt instruments, etc., we're dealing with deadly force. And one of the things that helps is really framing it and explaining to people that at the point you would come to need to exercise deadly force, it is because there is no other option. You know, there, there's no other option. So it is literally now a matter of, do I use deadly force to stop this threat? And again, going back to your terminology, and that's exactly right. We shoot to stop. We don't shoot to kill. You know, what? whether they kill or survive is not our concern. Our concern is stopping them immediately because they are threatening innocent human life, right? So I, I think what helps people, at least in my experience, people that I've, I've trained and had this conversation uh, with, you, you know, typically just shooting classes, I don't go that deep. If it's a class just on mechanical shooting, right? I, I think... Um, these things are best addressed with very specifically uh, defensive tactics courses. Unfortunately, there's less good instructors who offer that kind of stuff, but that's where these kind of conversations should run really deep. But when I've weighed into it, the main thing I urge is really understand the legalities of this and realize that once you're at the point that you need to use deadly force, you're, you're now making the decision that I am going to use force necessary to stop an individual from either you know, causing grave bodily harm or killing an innocent party, whether that's yourself or another innocent party in the circumstance. So it's, it's something that we can guide people to this. And a big part of that is, is training, you know, just, just getting them to do proper training. Uh, but ultimately it comes down to the individual has to, has to make the choice. There, there are some people who just sort of have a pacifist bent and that's okay. And that's up to them. But if, if an individual is like that, then, you know, carrying, I, I would advise not carrying a handgun or other lethal means of, of defense. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Good points. So Sal, another quality that you talk about in relation to the 21st century mindset is situational awareness. And, and this is another one of those areas that I, I know we all talk about as being important, but I, I think most people think that they have it all down again, because you're aware of your surroundings, right? I mean, but when you're aware of your surroundings, you're aware that you're aware of your surroundings. So it, it seems like we can just check that box there. But we don't think about the times that we weren't aware because we weren't aware. We don't, they, don't, they don't come to our mind like that. So, so what can you share about, first, the need for situational awareness? But then also, I'd like to know, like, what, are, what have been the best ways to develop this skill in real life? Mm-hmm. 
So I think there's a lot of misunderstanding with this. And, and again, the, the individual who really synthesized this as something that's teachable is definitely Jeff Cooper with, you know, the, the Cooper color codes, which he actually kind of adopted a, a military philosophy of like uh, conditions of ready, you know, ranging from uh, yellow, orange, red, etc. And, uh, you know, Cooper synthesized this four different levels of situational awareness. The model still works great today. With all of the discussion about it, the truth is, especially in our modern world with so many distractions, um, I don't really buy into the, you know, uh, modern day, you know, Wild Bill Hickok always sitting with your back against the wall. I mean, that worked out for for Bill Hickok until it didn't, right? So, you know, um, distraction in the world, nobody's switched on all the time. So when it comes to being practical... I really encourage people to to intentionally heighten their awareness when they are in the environments where where they need to do so. And later in the book, I think it's in the chapter called uh, just life tactics or, or, or something like that. Um, I talk about some of these strategies. What you will find is where crime gets committed most often tends to be in what I always refer to as uh, transitional spaces, right? Parking lots, when you're moving from one location to another, when you're walking through a doorway. One of the strategies that I give in the book is get into the habit of doing four different things when you walk into any environment. And again, this is nothing that has to make you paranoid. This literally takes a few seconds of mental processing, right? Let's use an example everybody's familiar with. Even if you don't want to admit it, we've all been in McDonald's or Burger King or whatever fast food restaurant, right? When you walk into that establishment, look for four things. First of all, who's in there and what are they doing? Second thing, where would be the point of criminal focus? And what I mean by that, if there's an armed robbery, where are the robbers going? That's usually to the cash register, right? Third thing, where are the exits? And the fourth thing, what in the environment could be used for cover if something bad happens? Now, do you have to go through some weird process so that you look weird in front of your friends or coworkers? No. You literally just look around and take it in in the course of three or four seconds. Who's in there and what are they doing? What are we looking for? We're looking for anomalies in the environment. We all know, just naturally, based on our own life experience, what is normal for a restaurant? That's people sitting in conversation and eating at tables. If you see two young men not eating, not talking to each other, and looking around nervously, <laughs> is is that an indication that there may be danger, right? So it's not rocket science. It's not something that you need specific training uh, in. You, you just need to, uh, you know, base things off of your regular life experience. What looks normal? Find anomalies. Be aware of what the likely point of robbery would be in any, you know, gas station, restaurant, any kind of public location. Be aware of the exits, right? Preferably, if you can sit close to an exit. Again, if don't make a scene about it, but if you have the option, why not, right? So you could get out of a situation quickly and know what is around for cover in case things got real bad real quickly that you could take cover behind. And literally, that takes you a few seconds when you walk into any establishment to, to um, lay those things out. And if you get in the habit of doing that, it becomes a habit so that anytime you make a transition into a new space, you're going to instantly go through that mental checklist 
And there is the potential there that it could indeed save your life because you're that much more likely on uh, you're that much more likely to pick up on an issue that's actually in that environment that you would not pick up on if you were not forcing yourself at first. It becomes natural once you get into the habit. But at first, you might have to force yourself just to run down that little checklist when you go through any transitional space. Yeah, I love that framework of it, too. I think that works really well to have something that you can go to as like a check, 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 done, order food, right? So I like I like the way that you've done that there. Sal, you say that also visualization training is a factor in the man mindset. Now, this is this may be kind of an odd addition, I think, to the list from from a historical perspective because can't see a, like I'm trying to picture a bunch of patriots all sitting around in their yoga pants with their eyes closed and doing their little meditations before an upcoming battle. But so I, I'm I'm very curious about why you you found this factor so important to add to your list of Minuteman mindset. And can you give us also an example of how you use visualization to really further harden your mindset? Yeah, so um, this visualization is a little bit different than probably what a lot of people think of when they think of visualization. So if if you think of visualization in probably probably the context that's most relevant to all of us in terms of being shooters or fighters or that kind of thing, we probably immediately think of athletic visualization. That's where, you know, um, there are people who have whole careers in this, getting top athletes to be able to visualize in their performance. That is also very beneficial, and I hardly recommend that. But uh, in terms of the mindset component, the visualization I'm referring to here is actually what, again, Jeff Cooper talked about these principles, right, already 60 years ago. Um, he, he referred to it as simply if-then thinking. So what it is, is if you're in any given environment, just think it through, what if this happened, then what would I do? And And there's a number of benefits that come from this. So I'll give you an example everybody can relate to. If you're in a gas station, there's a reason those are called stop and robs, right? We call a gas station your your local stop and rob because people stop and actually rob those quite often, right? It's amazing the amount of uh, stuff that goes on at gas stations. So the next time you're in a gas station, maybe not even, maybe maybe just at the pump, think to yourself as you're filling up your car, if a car pulled up right next to me and a few guys got out with guns and demanded my wallet what would i do what would i do right now okay and there may be it's not that there's any one right answer uh the next time you're in a restaurant think to yourself if a couple of guys with guns walked into the establishment right now and put guns in the clerk's face and started screaming at everybody in the place what would i do right now so there's a couple of benefits that come from this. First of all, let me say that this is not um, James Bond fantasies or John Wick fantasies. Isn't we always have to resort back to John Wick, right? That's that's the modern have to. thing, right? Have yeah. to. Okay, these are not John Wick fantasies. These are realistic what ifs, right? So what if it's not going to be six ninjas? Um, coming down from the ceiling, it's going to be a couple of guys wearing masks walking into the place, right? 
So think it through, and, and the benefit of that is not only do you think through what the, the possible actions could be that you would take, which might be as easily, it might be as easy as, oh yeah, the door's right behind me, I would just leave, right? Might be that simple, or it might be more complicated. Okay, my family's sitting right here with little kids, there's no way I can get them out fast enough, I'm going to have to use force, right? How could I best do that? The other benefit that comes out of these kind of mental wargaming is not just that you roll through scenarios in your head, but when you do that, you start to recognize things. Again, it plays back into that awareness of your surroundings because if you wargame it, and again, this doesn't have to be long. This can literally be three seconds about, okay, what if this happened? What would I do? When when you do that in different places, you'll start to find that there's noticeable... Uh, predictability in certain environments, right? Most gas stations are laid out in a similar way, right? So if you've gone through this particular scenario in the gas station, what would I do? Very often your game plan for that will apply to many different scenarios that can happen in many different gas stations, right? So not only does it allow you to kind of mentally map out what your strategies would be, it also makes you that much more alert to your surroundings in, in any given place. So that's really the benefit of that, that visualization as it factors into mindset. And if you talk to any guy... And I'm not talking about your average, you know, uh, concealed carrier training enthusiast. I'm talking about guys, especially the older generation of guys who were in lots of gunfights. They all did this extensively. You know, um, guys like Jimmy Cirillo and those kind of famous gunfighters, they will tell you that just everywhere they were, they would consistently mentally role play if then. So, you know, if those guys were doing it, I, I think it's, it speaks for itself. It's beneficial to any of us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and going back to what you were saying before about like just gaming everything out or having to force yourself, you really do oftentimes have to force yourself to do all of these things and visualizing um, whether that's and I like doing this before training also. It's one of the things that we, we tell people to do is like even before you do dry fire training or you go to the range don't just look at like the paper target that's hanging on the uh, hanging on the uh, the clothespin at the end of the wire there just you know really close your eyes and think about a situation that you might be in and try and make things as realistic as possible and you can do a lot just with the movie that you play in your mind about the realism of that and you know incorporating some other factors in there you can you can really create quite a realistic fighting scenario with your handgun or any anything really with just a little bit of creativity. So I love that. Awesome. Uh, Sal, congratulations on the book, man. This is a, it's a great book. I, I definitely, everybody should check this out. It's the 21st century minute, man, a guide to personal protection and self-reliance in contemporary America. I will leave a link where we have this show so that you can go and check it out as well. And then head on over to Sal's website, at reflexhandgun.com. He's been writing, I mean, he's been a prolific writer for a long time. I love his stuff and it covers everything from from firearms and concealed carry, but also getting more into the preparedness, everyday carry, things like that, that is important for everybody, I think, that calls himself a protector in the modern day. So definitely go check that out. Again, it's at reflexhandgun.com. And Sal, thanks so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. 
Thanks for right. having me back on uh, again, <laughs> Jeff. And, and like I said, what do you know? Uh, the world is uh, remaining uh, relatively constant in its unpredictability. So here we are again these years later talking about similar stuff. What do you know? So again, thanks for having me back on. And thanks for everything you do. I, I, watch, I watch all of your episodes. You have a lot of great guests on. So keep up the great work. Thanks, man. I'm just out having fun. This is all just for me. <laughs> it is kind of yeah, fun, right. even though sometimes it's uh, uh, rather yeah. disturbing things we have to talk about. But, you know, we're enthusiasts, I suppose. Well, but I think also it just it, it keeps it front of mind. Right. I mean, of course, you know, we, we're in the industry like we work in the industry. That's one thing. But I think that even for people out there, I think a, a good a good thing for mindset as well, I think, to bring it in here is that just listening to these things, just listening to a podcast in your car, that's about preparedness or about firearms or it just it just keeps your mind in that mode of going back to your mindset stuff you're number one which is realizing that bad things can happen to good people and so i think if we if we have if we depart from that it's easy to become complacent in that as well until something happens and so these things i think we we find to come more naturally to us because we are in the industry and we we write about these things we talk about these things we do videos on these things we train people in these things, but I think for the other other people out there that aren't in the industry, I think it is important for them to continue to watch videos and listen to podcasts and read articles, get the magazines. I think it is important to stay in that mindset and realize, well, one, I think to realize that bad things do happen to, to good people, but then also just to keep leveling up your skills. There's always something new to learn. And that is really what our channel, everything that I created here is about because I'm looking to learn from the, the listeners out there, from the guests that we have on the show like you. Like I'm always looking just to get better today, to get better than I was yesterday. And, mm. and mm -hmm. Sal, you got me there, man. You, you let me check today off that I, I learned some things that I, I didn't know before. So I appreciate that, man. And listen, everybody out there, again, head on over to reflexhandgun.com. Go check out more of Sal's work. And until our next show, live like a warrior. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.